0: Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Did you know there is a world of difference between being religious and knowing God? Being religious can look like doing a whole lot of stuff that's often ritualistic that doesn't reflect a real understanding of who God is. It's not a new concept. Oh no, the Israelites Jeremiah was speaking to were so wrapped up in religious ritual they had missed God completely. Tonight Dr. Corbett looks at exactly that from Jeremiah chapter 44, the Queen of Heaven's Women.
1: Here we are, this is the the final weeks, maybe weeks of Jeremiah's life. He's been taken against his will down into Egypt where he told the survivors of Jerusalem not to go Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed the city he had left and appointed a governor there and that governor's been assassinated and the survivors fearing that Nebuchadnezzar would come back and do his worst have fled to Egypt in the pursuit of fleeing Nebuchadnezzar and Jeremiah has said the one that you thought you were fleeing from is the one who will come and track you down and that will be your end, only a few of you will escape who will serve only one purpose, and that is to provide a remnant for the Messiah to eventually come and that of course meant Jeremiah must have realized that couldn 't be him because remember he was told not to marry so this is uh, this is a very moving part, I reckon a very moving part of this book and, and and what i'm finding throughout scripture a number of occasions when the picture of maturity becomes very consistent and very clear and the picture of maturity is this when you're going through intense hardship intense difficulty intense intensely moving and trying times the mature will not be so caught up in that as to not see others and care for others Jeremiah has just given a prophecy that he himself is included in, and it sounds like you're going to die, and he's a part of that. And he could complain; he could say, "But I didn't want to be here. <laughs> it's not my fault." And he could have done that, but he—he's not doing that now. He's not like the Jeremiah of the early chapters, where the first few chapters, first few like first twelve chapters of the book, he's complaining. He's. He's telling God, he he doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to do this, this is all too hard, no one's listening anyway. And at each point of Jeremiah's depression, God meets him and meets him by giving him something else to do, which is an interesting insight into mental health. But that's not the Jeremiah we're dealing with now. This is a Jeremiah who has dealt with all of his insecurities and he's come to know that God will never hurt him, sorry, harm him. I've discovered this, that you can go through stuff that hurts, but when God's got your hand, it'll never harm you. There are things in life that hurt, but when God's got your hand, they never harm you. And this is one of the final prophecies that Jeremiah is going to give to this group of people. And after this, he turns his attention to his private secretary, Baruch. And then after that, he begins to speak to the nation. The queen of heaven's women. We're, we're looking at verses 15 to 19 of this chapter. And we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Then all the men. <clears throat> note that you've um, you are given to underlining or holding your finger on your Bible text and you have the word highlight come up. You might just want to highlight that word. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by a great assembly. All the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt answered Jeremiah. Hmm, what are they going to say? Verse 16. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. (laughs) Oh, happy days. You can see this is exactly what Jeremiah was dealing with at the start of his ministry. And we recall how he handled it then. He just spiraled into depression. How does he handle it now? He's not the same man. He's a different man. He's a man who realizes that, his charge is to serve God and to honor him not to please people and may we all get that please what we're about to see is that Jeremiah has given the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is you shouldn't have done this you shouldn't have gone down into Egypt it's not too late you can still repent we can all pack up and go back to Jerusalem and we can get this thing back on track but I know you won't Because you're a stubborn, hard-hearted, rebellious lot. And this is where they've said, that word that you've just given us, we're not even going to listen to you. And that's because we're about to see an insight here. It's not like these people weren't religious. It's not like Jeremiah is the religious one who's pleading with these people to be religious. It's not that at all. Jeremiah's not pleading for them to be religious. In fact, they were religious, as we'll see in a moment. But the issue is there is a world of difference between knowing God and being religious. A world of difference. Now, Here's, here's these people. They, they are practicing what we would call false religion, as we'll see in a moment. And the goal of false religion is to control its deity. Now, please be careful when we worship at the risk of being misunderstood. Actually, it's it's not even a risk. I, I know I will be misunderstood when I say this. We do not worship God to make him do what we want. And I know that you're going to hear that statement twisted and you're going to hear it dressed up and made to sound really attractive. And it will sound like this. Come on, church. Let's worship God. Because if we do, his glory will fall. What's that? That's like if we do this, then we can get something from him. Come on, church. We've really got to worship God. We've just got to press into worship. If we press into worship, we'll get the breakthrough. You see, I'm, using, I'm saying exactly the same thing as that. But it actually somehow passes through most Christian filters and it says, well, that sounds reasonable. You know what I'd be doing? I'd be going, yeah, that's awesome. Can I just have the supporting Bible verse for that? I just want to note that and go home and study that verse because I I really do want the best from God. And I really do want to worship God the best way I can. And I really do want to know if there's something I can do to get the best from God. I want to do it. So just give me those verses. Um, I'm, I'm ready when you are. And you're going to struggle to find supporting scripture for that kind of reasoning. This is the goal of false worship. If we do this, we can make the deity, the God, do this. Verse 17. But we will do... Now remember, this is the women. This is the women on mass coming to Jeremiah. This is scary for a bloke to have a pack of women. Come. You ever met a, pat, a pack of angry women? Yeah, that's the picture. It's scary. They tell me. <laughs> but we will do everything we have vowed make offerings to the Queen of Heaven, note that, and pour out drink offerings to her as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Get this! This is ultimate. Delusionment. This is the ultimate in self-deception. Notice this reasoning. When we worshiped the Queen of Heaven, everything was going really well. So this is what they say. For then we had plenty of food and we prospered and we saw no disaster. Where have you been for the last 12 years? It's been famine, sword, and pestilence. Has anyone not heard about famine, sword, and pestilence? Good grief, we're in chapter 44, girls. (laughs) This is not chapter 1, verse 1. This is chapter 44. If you do a Bible search and just put the three words together, famine, sword, and pestilence, it occurs more in these 44 chapters than anywhere else in the Bible. Not just as prophecy, but as description of what had happened. What on earth do you mean when we worship the queen of heaven? Everything went well for us. This is called being fooled. And that's what false religion does. It fools people. It inevitably leads to being deluded. Deluded. It's self-deception and delusion. I know some of you have been to India and it's heartbreaking when you go to India. And I know that there are people who are going to hear me say this and they're going to go, well, you can't judge someone else's religion. Yeah, you, you can form an assessment. You can look at people who are taking their last meal and offering it to the god of the Ganges or something like that. And it's just sad. When William Carey arrived in India, they they had a practice called sati. You ever heard of sati? Whenever a husband died, they believed that as an offering to the gods for the welfare of this man so that he could reincarnate into the next life, you needed to offer his living wife on the fire as an offering. It was called sati. William Carey saw this and it was one of the first things that he worked to overturn the practice of sati. It, it, it's delusion to think that your eternal destiny is made better if after you die we throw your wife on the fire and kill her. That's delusion. And that's what false religion will always do. It can only do that. It can only lead to deception. And here's where people might go, well, how do we know that we're right? How do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know that the God of the Bible is the God? How do we know that? And, and you could hear some people say, you'll never hear me say it, but you'll hear some people say, well, you've just got to have more faith. You've just got to trust more. You've just got to believe it harder. And I'm going to say to you, according to what I know in here, That's not true. The antidote to doubt is not more faith. The antidote to doubt is the truth. The truth is the best thing you can do for your faith in the God of the Bible. It's the best thing you can do. You see, this is what I have come to know. And it's beyond knowing. It's an absolute conviction. What we have here in God's word is not merely the opinions of man slapped together. What we have here is the divinely inspired word that God gave us through different people who penned it. And it accurately describes reality. This is the best picture of reality that we have. It describes a fallen world. It describes God. It describes the, the work of the devil. It describes the redemption of Jesus Christ. It describes ultimate reality. This is, you don't read this to become religious. You read this to get a grip on reality. So the antidote to doubt is not faith. It's the truth. Now notice these people were clinging to. These women... Huh, these women, and did you notice how it opens? When it says that the, their husbands, that these men, they knew their wives were doing this. These men knew that while they were going to the temple to supposedly worship God, their women were going out into the paddocks at night, offering up all kinds of things to the moon who they called the Queen of Heaven. Or, let's use some names that the Bible uses, Ashtarte, or Astarte or Ashtaroth. The Egyptians called it Isis. And so on. And their husbands knew about it. And these women said, hey, our husbands knew what we were doing. So this Queen of Heaven, what, what do we know about the Queen of Heaven? Well, I mentioned that Jeremiah's already addressed this, and he has. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 18, it says, The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire. So did these guys know what their wives were doing? And the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. These were little flat sort of cakes that had fruit in it. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods and provoke me to anger. Just worth noting that, how God feels about worshipping anything other than him. So, God is provoked to anger. This Queen of Heaven, who Jeremiah is now addressing, and that's why I say it's a bit of a bookend for the book of Jeremiah. He's addressed it. He addressed it as a teenager. He probably would have been about 15, 16 years of age when he began to address it. And now here he is close to 65, maybe up to 70, and here he is addressing it. So this Queen of Heaven is also referred to in Scripture as Ishtar, Astarte, Ashtaroth. And in Judges 2.13, it says they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Um, It was also known as Isis, Interesting. Isis, exactly the way the terror group is spelt. The Mesopotamian goddess of fertility who was personified as the moon. Boy, this is scary. This is really scary because one of the the symbols of one of the world's major religions is the moon. Who was worshipped in Mesopotamia, that is Saudi Arabia, as Isis. Now, the Queen of Heaven. I, I did a little Google on this and I found a website dedicated to the modern worship of the Queen of Heaven. And initially I thought it was a joke. Initially I thought someone's having a lend of people here. And I realized these guys are deadly serious. Deadly serious. And then, then you, you, you dig a little deeper and you realize there are millions of people around the world today who have certain feast days where they worship the Queen of Heaven still today. And it's almost exactly the same scenario that Jeremiah faced. While their husbands are going to church on Sunday, these people are conducting worship to the Queen of Heaven on a Monday. And where do you think we got the word Monday from? The day of the moon. Now don't freak out about, oh gee, I'm going to boycott Mondays. No, don't do that. Not coming into work today, Pastor said we should boycott (laughs) Mondays. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) But this is the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Petaluma, California. So right down south near... Mexico and these people uh, and that's a scary image by the way and we're going to see in a moment how all that the queen of heaven represented in the book of Jeremiah has been transferred to someone else today and it's identical and it's unbelievably idolatrous and so these people, they, they carry the statue and they carry her into the church in the same way that the people of Jeremiah's day were carrying a statue of the Queen of Heaven into the temple. This is really, I, I think, disturbing. Really, really disturbing. Here's this website that I mentioned and it's actually called... Um, I think queenofheaven.com or something like that. and it's, So this is still going on. This is, these are some of the historical depictions of the Queen of Heaven. This is the statue Isis nursing her son. This is in the Louvre in Paris. And this one is some coins, Sidonian coins that were found around about the time. They date back to around about the time of Jeremiah where Astarte is riding a chariot, it says. Um, And then we've got this modern, more modern depiction of the Queen of Heaven wearing a crown and is called the Co-Redemptrix, which means it's through her that sins are atoned for. When Jesus died on the cross, it was virtually him serving his mother. And she's the one who's done it. According to a Wikipedia article, so this is not someone with a vendetta, this is just an an online encyclopedia. They said the veneration of the Virgin Mary, Queen of Heaven, was a title given to a number of ancient sky goddesses in the ancient Mediterranean Near East, particularly uh, Annette, Isis, Inanna, Astarte, Hera and possibly Asherah, uh, identified by the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Elsewhere, Nordic Frigg also bore this title. In Greco-Roman times, Hera in in, uh, her Roman aspect, Juno, bore this title. Forms and content of worship varied. In modern times, the title Queen of Heaven is still used by contemporary pagans to refer to the great goddess, while Catholics and Orthodox Christians now apply the ancient pagan title to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And and the problem with this, one of the problems is that there are people who don't understand Christianity, such as Muslims, and they look at this and they think, ah, that's what Christianity is. And it's not. In fact, not only is it not, it's actually condemned in Scripture and forbidden. Verse 19, the last verse that we'll consider, then we'll just wrap this up. And the women said, when we made offerings to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her, bearing her image, and poured out drink offerings to her? Now, I just want to put in a little editor's footnote here, and and that's this, that the festival of Easter, that word Easter comes from that word, a star star and it was the festival of worshiping the S yes, of heaven, the queen of heaven. And Christians very early on saw that they needed to baptize a lot of these things with Christian symbolism. So if you have a, a moral objection to celebrating Easter and you get chocolate Easter eggs and hot cross buns, then just give them to me, and I'll sanctify them. And I'll. And if you don't even want to dispose of them, I've got a way. I've got a way of disposing of them. In other words, don't be freaked out by this sort of stuff. We can actually, Christians have long been wise and clever in using these things, not for their paganness, but to point people to Christ. That's just by the way. All right, here's where I want to just bring it to a close. These husbands, and this is where I think Jeremiah is very deliberately and intentionally highlighting what these women said that their husbands knew exactly what their wives were doing and they did nothing about it. And this is where these husbands had failed. And how had they failed? Because the role, get this, please get this, the role of a husband is not to make his wife happy. It's not. The role of a husband is to help his wife and if his father, his children, to know God. We'll come to this in a moment. But your role as a husband is not to make your wife happy. Now, I've got a conviction that if you can help your wife to know God more, she will be. You can't not come into a sweeter, more fulfilling relationship with God and not experience joy and happiness as a result. Now here's, I want to suggest to you, Jeremiah is closing his book with this insight, and that is this, that all of the ills they are now suffering are because these men failed to live up to the responsibility God had given them. That is, they had failed to be the head of their homes. They had failed. And so all the ills and evils of society can be traced back to hurt. In the home and hurt, don't just think physical pain, think also neglect, think also some of these other things. And all of society's ills and evils could be healed in one generation. In one generation, where if men were men of God, and when I say men of God, I don't mean you have to become pastors, I don't mean you have to become missionaries or anything like that, I just mean you just got to love God and do what God's called you to do, man. Just do that. Just love God and do what God has called you to do. And all of society's ills will be changed within one generation. If men could learn that women are not objects... If men could learn how to respect women, if men could learn how to treat a woman, if men could learn how to be dads and to care and nurture and cultivate their children, boy, within one generation, our society would look radically different. How much of our economy is sucked down the drain hole because of crime and perversion? Answer, a lot, a real lot. What if we could see in our society some of the evils of society that leech on our economy eradicated because instead of young kids growing up with a distorted view of what sexuality should be or relationships should be, they grow up with a healthy picture of what relationships and sexuality should be. And they learn to love and contribute and men take on their primary responsibility. And here is the role. The primary role of any man is to help those they are responsible for to know God. That's why every man should be asking his wife, what if you're reading your Bible today? I'm going to pray for you a bit later. What would you like me to pray for you about? And you begin to pastor, and there's those three Ps. You, you are men, you are charged to protect your wife. You were charged to provide for your wife and you were charged to pastor your wife, care for her spiritually as well. And this is what I've discovered and it's, it's just way too common. It's this, when the home is broken, children are broken. When relationships with fathers are broken, it's often the cause of pain that people experience sometimes people are pained and they ache and they hurt and they don't know why they are depressed they are angry they are on edge they they lash out at people because there is a breach in that primary relationship that every person is born into and should have by God's divine decree have cultivated throughout their life and here's what I want to close with and jeremiah has got more to say about this but let's let's look at what he knew and it's this you have a heavenly father and you have a heavenly father who will never harm or disappoint you never he will never harm Or disappoint you in any way. Ponder that. Please ponder that. God is for you, not against you. Would you please stand? Your heavenly father invites you now to come to him and to discover more about him. You see, when I say it's the role of every man to help those he's responsible for to know God, that word know is present, ongoing, continuous tense. I know more about God now than I did last week. That's not a brag. That's a statement of how much I didn't know last week. And I hope that every man here is discovering things about God. I hope that every man here sees that when he chooses not to read his Bible, it's not just him who's being depleted. It's those he's leading, his wife, his children. You see, if you care about your wife and children, husbands, you'll read your Bible because you're going to feed your soul. You know that whole thing in the unlikely event of an emergency, air masks will drop from the cabin above. Put that on first before attending to children. Men, you need to attend to your soul first before you can be of any use to your wife and children. And God calls each one of us. And I know that there are some here, when I say that God is your heavenly father, there is something in you that says, don't talk to me about a father. And this is where you need a radically new vision of what a father is. It's not someone who molests you, hurts you, harms you, speaks down to you, criticizes you or neglects you. It's someone who loves you intently. Let's look to him right now. Just take a moment. God sees your heart right now. He sees the tears that you're holding back. He sees the pain in your heart he knows what you've gone through he knows the neglect that you've had to endure he knows all of that and he is not that he is not that
0: being engaged in ritualistic worship can distract us from knowing god and result in us doing stuff that eventually serves to manipulate god a sober warning from the pages of jeremiah about our worship more from dr corbett next week when he speaks on how soon we forget Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Queen of Heaven's Women, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash Finding Truth Matters.